invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses uh, 12 through 26 today. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. We're going to focus on verses 20 through 26 this morning, where Jesus speaks about four blessings and four corresponding woes. Now, the background to this is uh, Jesus has been up all night praying, and then he has, uh, from his group of disciples, chosen the twelve who will be his apostles. And now before a crowd, before his disciples, and before this inner group of twelve now called to be apostles, Jesus wants to talk to these individuals about true happiness, where true joy can be found. And before we pray and read our passage today, I want to say a few things by way of introduction so that you can be on the lookout for them as we read today. What I want you to notice and be on the lookout for is the way that Jesus is explaining to his disciples what it will look like to follow him. This is is an act of disclosure on the Lord Jesus's part. He's telling them what they can expect As his disciples, someone has called this the Sermon on the Level, not just to distinguish it from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and not just because Jesus is speaking from a level place, but because Jesus is leveling with his disciples here. He wants them to understand what the Christian life will be like. It's not a a cakewalk. He wants his disciples to understand that there will be challenges and 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 heartache, and persecution, and and disappointment. But not only is this an act of disclosure, Jesus is also wanting to prepare his disciples for such times. And so he wants them to understand that no matter the circumstances, no matter how difficult life becomes, no matter how severe the persecution, Christ's disciples can have true deep, abiding joy. And he wants his followers to understand that. Not only is this an act of disclosure, an act of preparation, but Jesus, you'll notice this, he's also taking the world's standards of happiness and turning them upside down. Jesus speaks in in terms in this passage that are frankly shocking, and I think he's doing it intentionally to to get our attention. He says in this passage, you want to know what a cursed person looks like? A cursed person looks like somebody that's wealthy, somebody that's satisfied, somebody that's always having a good time and laughing, and somebody who's well-respected and liked by others. You You want to know what a blessed person looks like? A blessed person is somebody who's, who's dirt poor. Uh, somebody who uh, the, the pangs of hunger are so loud they can't even hear themselves think. Somebody, somebody who's shed so many tears that they don't have any tears left to cry. Someone who is rejected and despised by others. That's what blessing looks like, Jesus tells us here. And so Jesus wants us to know True blessing, true happiness. Now, blessing is one of those 
Christian words that we use in so many contexts that maybe sometimes we forget the meaning that's behind the word, and we need to remember it today. To be blessed by God is to experience the favor of God. To to be blessed by God is to know the everlasting favor of God and therefore to know true and everlasting joy and happiness. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is the kind of joy, this is the kind of happiness that I intend for my people. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on in life, this is what I'm providing for you. I think Jesus is putting it this way in this sermon, because he wants us to know that no matter the trials of life, no matter the the sorrows, no matter how awful life is, his people can know true, deep, everlasting joy. Friends, to be that kind of disciple, you have to have a theology of joy that is able to deal with the heartaches of life in a fallen world. And that's what Jesus offers his disciples here. we, We need to say this at the beginning. It will not help to just try to ignore the difficult things in life. It will not help to just try to overlook the sorrows and pretend like everything's okay. Let's face it. Life in this world sometimes just flat out stinks. Jesus is offering his people an everlasting joy that overcomes the temporary sorrows of this life. Now before we think together about those verses, let me say a a few things as well about the verses leading up to Jesus' sermon. So in verse, uh, verse 12... Uh, look at what Jesus does. He's, he's about to choose the 12 who will be his, his apostles, but notice what he does first. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus is getting ready to make a big decision, an important decision. What does he do first? He, he prays all night. Now, it's very clear that Luke intends to teach us about the importance of prayer by the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we've seen, uh, we've seen Jesus retreat into desolate places to, to pray and fellowship with his heavenly Father. We've, we've already seen Jesus, after a busy and exhausting day of ministry, withdraw himself to, to spend time in prayer with his heavenly Father. And now, before making a major decision, Jesus devotes an entire night to prayer. Now, you see, though he was and is the eternal son of God, Jesus did not depend upon his divine prerogatives as as a man. He, He lived as one of us with all of our creaturely limitations and therefore Jesus as a man had to pray. Jesus needed to commune with his heavenly father in prayer as you and I need to commune with our heavenly father in prayer. You see that the very clear application we could make here is the sinless son of God needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to spend time in prayer with our Heavenly Father? But going on here, Jesus prays all night, and then in verse 13, he, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. 
I'd love to just take the rest of our time this morning and think together about the significance of that number. Why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? It's significant. Jesus is teaching something by choosing 12. He's teaching us that he is forming the new Israel. That just as the Old Testament people of God were founded upon the 12 sons of Jacob, so the new Israel will be founded upon the 12 apostles. And he also wants us to understand that the the New Testament people of God are made up of Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we even see a glimpse of that here in this passage. And so Jesus is preaching to the crowds in verse 17. What what does Luke tell us? He tells us there are people from, from Judea, And from Jerusalem, okay, we know those areas. But then as well, Sidon and Tyre. Now later today, you can go in your study Bible and look up a map. And and you'll see Sidon was an area that was never even within the geographical bounds of Israel. Luke is communicating to us that already we're beginning to see that Jesus is forming a kingdom of men and women and boys and girls made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we see a glimpse of that here in this passage. But with all of that, just as a quick overview, I want us to focus today on what Jesus has to say about true happiness, because he's telling his disciples about where true happiness may be found in the midst of the most tremendous suffering. He he wants our joy to be grounded in something that can never be lost or, or taken away. And that's what we're going to think about today. But before we read our passage, let's pray again and ask for for the Lord's help. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us today through your word and plant your truth within us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its, its honesty and its realness with us. Lord, when so much in our world is is dishonest and unreal, your word can be trusted. And so equip us today with your truth, inform our thinking, inform our expectations so that we may know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And may each of us here know the happiness and the abiding joy that Jesus intends for his people to have and experience, even in the midst of great suffering. We pray all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12, reading through verse 26. Let's hear God's word together. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. 
that all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Well, what is your ultimate source of happiness? What's your treasure? What is the ultimate source of your joy in life? That's the issue that Jesus is addressing here. And, and he wants his disciples to understand that this is a matter of life and death. Because where your treasure is, your heart is also there. What you value most speaks to what you're trusting in, what you're looking to for ultimate happiness and satisfaction. And friends, Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants our trust. Jesus wants us to find all of our satisfaction in him. So we're going to look at this passage today in in two parts, in reverse order. And so in verses 24 through 26, we're going to think together about uh, what happiness looks like but isn't. And then in verses 20 through 23, we're going to see what real happiness looks like and is. Okay, so first of all, what looks like happiness but isn't in verses 24 through 26? In these verses, Jesus is talking about a group of people who have, have a source of happiness that is misplaced. They are seeking to find ultimate blessing, ultimate happiness, ultimate joy in things like wealth and possessions, in a, in a full stomach and physical satisfaction, in, in laughing and having a good time and in being well-liked, having connections with others. You know, when you hear that, at first, you think, that sounds pretty good. Those sound like things that we would, we would want to have in our lives. Those, sounds, that's, those things sound like the ingredients for a, a happy life. Give me, give me wealth, and things will be great. Give me uh, physical satisfaction and everything will be fine. Give me 
a good time, give me a good laugh and I'll be happy, give me, give me friends and, and respect in the community and, and I'll be satisfied. That, that makes sense to us, I think. But then look at what Jesus says to the rich in verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. He, he's saying that if money and possessions are ultimately where your happiness comes from, then fine. You know, have it, have it your way. But one day that's going to come to an end. You know, Jesus is saying that if you're looking to wealth and possessions and the happiness that they can bring as your source of ultimate satisfaction, then you are already living your best life now. It's as good as it's going to get. And so he says, woe to you, because that treasure will not last. What happens if the bank account runs dry? Where will your happiness come from then? What happens when you die and you cannot take your riches with you? It's why Jesus says, at best, riches and wealth are a temporary consolation. And then in verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. If your source of happiness is being physically satisfied and, and filling your days with, with entertainment, then, then once again, fine. But don't expect it to last forever because life is more than food. Life is more than your immediate physical needs. And, and woe to you, Jesus says, to you who fill all your days with cheap, superficial laughter because one day you shall mourn. Jesus, of course, isn't saying that laughter and entertainment is in and of itself sinful, but thinking a happy life is a life filled with cheap laughter and entertainment is not just superficial, it's profoundly false, Jesus is saying. You can, you can uh, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death about the effects of media on people's thinking today. Well, Jesus is saying you can amuse yourself to death. Truly, you can amuse yourself to death. And, and, and he wants us to understand that. So the preacher in uh, Ecclesiastes, I think here's a great cross-reference to keep in mind. Dave loves to give us cross-references, so let me give you one. Preacher in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 6 says, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. You see the word picture there? You you, you, uh, set a flame to some some dry thorns and what happens? They light up quickly and they have a bright flash. But in a moment, they're burned up and they're gone. And the preacher is saying, a a life lived for laughter and satisfaction is, is just like that. It's a bright flash, burns up, and it's gone just like that. And then in in verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you, and all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you if you live for the praise of man instead of the praise of God. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing in in, in these verses? He He is making a mockery of the world's values. 
He, he is guarding us from making the mistake of thinking that ultimate happiness can be found in, in any of those things. And yet, I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, even as Christians, we find ourselves so often going to those very things, seeking our ultimate happiness and satisfaction in them instead of in Christ. So you see what Jesus is trying to help us understand here. Jesus identifies four false ideas of happiness. He's saying happiness is not wealth and possessions. Happiness is not being physically satisfied all the time. Happiness is not having a good laugh and and having a great time your whole life. Happiness is not always being well-liked by everyone around you. We could add to the list. We could say happiness is not living the American dream. Uh, Happiness is not uh, having a great career. Happiness is not getting that job you've always wanted. Happiness is not getting a great education and having this uh, degree, you know, a title in front of your name. Happiness is not uh, being married or being single or in having a family or in having children. Happiness is not having all of your dreams come true. That's what Jesus is saying to us, you see. Many of those things are great. Let's be very clear here. Many of those things are great and can be enjoyed as wonderful gifts from God. But they are not ultimately what gives God's people true joy. You you can actually have all of those things and still not be happy. And you can have all of those things and one day lose it all. And so Jesus is trying to press this upon our minds here, and I think we need to see the struggle that Jesus is highlighting and how relevant it is for us today. You know, we're, we're, we're so surrounded by this lie that sometimes we, we just fool out buy into it. You know, dear, dear friends, some, some of you are drinking down the poisonous lie that if I could just have wealth, If I could just be fully satisfied physically, if I could just always have a great time, fill my life with laughter, if I could be well-liked by others, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. And Jesus is trying to help us understand, no, no, no. None of those things can give you what you're looking for. And too often, too often as Christians, we are ultimately focused on finding happiness in the very same thing non-Christians are focused on in trying to find happiness and joy in life. Too often we're focused on on money, good food, good time, and, and popularity. And Jesus speaks in such strong terms because he understands that we need to be shocked by this. We need to be woken up. We need to be challenged by, by his word. You see, Jesus isn't He's not talking here to unbelievers. That's a point we need to recognize. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, of course, yes, there's a whole crowd present, and Jesus wants the whole crowd to hear him and to respond to what he's saying by faith. But Jesus, I think, is particularly focused on his disciples here. Friends, we we have seen people 
destroy themselves pursuing these very things. We have seen people ruin their lives, live a life of misery, pursuing riches and fullness and happiness and popularity. We have seen people live very full but empty lives. And yet Jesus is saying, dear ones, you can do this too. Beloved, you can make this same mistake and pursue after things that will ultimately, ultimately harm you. You see, we can, we, we can start to think, I've got, uh, I've got money in the bank account. I've got money in multiple savings accounts. I've got food in the fridge. In fact, I've got food in the second refrigerator down in the basement as well as in the deep freezer. Uh, I've got all kinds of things to fill up my time and entertain me and give me a good laugh. I've got friends galore, connections. I've got family. And we can start to think, this is where happiness is found. Uh, we, we, We can start to think, this is where I ultimately belong. And that if these things were removed from my life, There's no possibility that I could actually have true joy or happiness because this is where my my heart is. This is where my happiness is. And see, Jesus is saying, if it's these things you want more than me, then these things are killing you because they're keeping you from wanting the thing you need most of all, and that's me. You see, the world says if you want to be wealthy, full, full of laughter, popular, that, pursue these things. That's, that's the way to a happy life. And then Jesus comes along and says, woe to the wealthy, woe to the satisfied, woe to those uh, who live for laughter, woe to those who are well respected by everyone around them. It's not because any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, you see. He's saying, be warned if this is where your heart is. Be warned if this is what matters to you most. Be warned if your joy is grounded in these things. Be be warned if you have what you want, so you do not long for what you really need. Be be warned if you are so satisfied with the things that you have that you do not actually pine after the thing that you need most of all. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to make this this clear to his disciples. Our, Our loving and good and kind and gracious Savior wants us to understand that what the world says is happiness isn't. What the world says can satisfy, ultimately cannot deliver. And, and he's saying, if this is what you're looking to, you're cursed. Uh, those blessings of uh, wealth, of satisfaction, of laughter, of respect in, in the community 
can actually become a, a, a millstone around your neck that drags you into the pit of hell. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so Jesus wants us to know that what the world says is happiness really isn't. And he wants something far, far better for his people, dear friends. He wants them to know true happiness and its source. And so he tells us about the the true blessedness and about true joy in verses 20 through 23. My friends, Jesus wants you to get this. He he wants this truth to be worked down into your heart so that it actually shapes the way that you live. And I think one of the ways that that Luke is communicating that is he tells us that that Jesus lifted his eyes up and, and looked upon his disciples. I don't think that's an insignificant comment from from Luke. Again, yes, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and he wants everyone to hear what he's saying and respond properly. But I think he's looking into the eyes of his disciples, and he's looking right into the eyes, particularly of the 12, and he's communicating, dear ones, I want you to understand this. I I want you to understand what to expect as one of my disciples. I I want to prepare you for what lies ahead. And I want you to understand the source of true happiness and what true happiness actually is. Let's look at what he says in verse 20. Are you ready for it? Here, Here is true blessing, true happiness, true joy. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Do you you feel the shock of that? It should disturb us. When Jesus says what he says there. You know, we, many of us have grown up in the church and we've heard these things before and so we can just kind of glide along on our autopilot and not really listen to what Jesus is saying. True blessing, what's it look like? You're dirt poor. It looks like someone who's starving to death. It looks like somebody who is has shed so many tears that they just can't weep anymore. It looks like somebody who's been excluded and rejected and driven out by their neighbors, hated and despised on account of the Son of Man because you love the Lord Jesus Christ more than life itself. Because he is more valuable, more precious, more important to you than anything in this life. That's what true blessing looks like, Jesus says. Now that should... That should make you think, you know, you should have a question in your mind and say, well, wait, wait a second, wait a second, Jared. You just told us a minute ago that you were going to tell us about true happiness and where true happiness is found. This doesn't sound like happiness. This sounds like misery, doesn't it? It sounds absolutely miserable. And if that's what you're thinking, then, then I think you're beginning to hear the Lord Jesus speak through these verses. It's what he's saying to us. It's it's what he's wanting us to understand. 
How can someone in these circumstances know true joy? That's the question we have to ask. How can someone who is dirt poor be happy? Uh, How can someone who is famished and starving rejoice? How can someone whose tear ducts are just dried out because they've wept so much also at the same time rejoice? And how can someone who has been rejected by everyone, hated and despised, excluded, maligned, called a bigot and a fool, leap for joy? That's a question we we have to ask ourselves. They're questions we have to answer. How can someone in those circumstances be happy? Because it's certainly, the source is certainly not the poverty, or the hunger, or the sorrow, or the rejection. So, So what is it? Where does this joy come from? How can someone be happy when they feel as though the the world is crashing down on them? Where can that kind of joy be found? Listen to what Jesus is saying. Hear what Jesus is saying to us. Let me tell you what true happiness is. True happiness is when you have nothing left but me. True happiness is when you're starving to death, but you still have me. True happiness is when you've wept and wept and wept, but you still have me. And true happiness is when the world despises you and rejects you and hates you, but you still have me. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm the treasure. I'm the source of joy in your life. I'm where true happiness can be found. Gives us that important qualifier. These things are on account of the Son of Man. You see, it's not a blanket statement Jesus is making that just because you're poor or hungry or sad or rejected by others that you're going to know the blessing of God. No, Jesus is saying these are blessings that the people of God experience because they are utterly devoted and sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where true happiness is found. You see what Jesus is doing for his disciples. Before we we try to think about how this applies to us, I just want you to realize that what Jesus is saying here directly applied to those whom he has just called to be his apostles. He's preparing them for what lies ahead, as I said. These are the very things these men would experience. They would face poverty for him. They would face hunger for him. They would face deep sorrow and disappointments for him. And they would face hatred and persecution and even death for him. These men, men, they will lose their lives on account of Christ. And Jesus is saying, You men can leap for joy. And friends, if Jesus is saying that to men who will suffer, have suffered far worse than any of us have, then certainly, certainly you and I can know this same joy and happiness in Christ. That's why in verse 23, Jesus says, look, if you have me, leap for joy. Leap for joy because your treasure isn't something that can be taken from you or lost. Leap for joy because I am your treasure. And and nothing 
And heaven or on earth can separate you from me because I will not let you go. Pastor Dave and I, on our, our way to General Assembly this year, we listened to uh, missionary biographies. And uh, one of the lessons we listened to was on John Patton. John Patton was a Scottish Presbyterian missionary in the 19th century. He, uh, he went to the New Hebrides, which is a group of islands in the Pacific between uh, Hawaii and Australia, roughly speaking. Okay. Um, John Patton uh, boarded, well, before he went, months before he went, two other British missionaries traveled to the New Hebrides, landed on the shore, and within moments they were both clubbed to death. Knowing that, John Patton and his recently, uh, uh, he was just recently married before going, boarded a ship, took the six-month journey to the New Hebrides, now, they weren't clubbed to death as soon as they landed on the shore of one of these islands, but within months, his wife died. And due to persecution, due to hardships, John Patton was forced to eventually return back to Britain. But he had a heart for those people in the New Hebrides. He, he wanted those people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, back in Britain, he remarries gets back on another ship, takes the six-month journey again back to the New Hebrides, lands on an island, and his wife gives birth to his first child. And within months, his wife and his child are both dead. John Patton spent the next 40 years on one of those islands in the New Hebrides proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And while he was there, John Patton lived a life of poverty. Uh, John Patton lived a life of hunger. I mean, all he had was what he could provide for himself because the people on the island hated him at first. John Patton knew real sorrow. And he, and he knew what it was like to be hated and despised and excluded. Multiple times his his makeshift hut that he constructed himself was surrounded by tribal people who wanted to kill him. And yet you read his autobiography and it's, it's breathtaking. It's, it's beautiful because in the midst of all of that, John Patton rejoices. John Patton has joy and, and happiness in Christ. And he's an example of take away wealth, take away possessions, and he rejoices. Take away food, take away physical satisfaction, and he rejoices. Take away the things that he loves and he cherishes in this life, and he rejoices. Put him in a place where he lives daily under the threat of real persecution and death. And what does John Patton do? He rejoices because his treasure was in Christ. His joy was found in Jesus. And so, friends, the question for us today, is this us? Is this us? Where is your treasure? What is your ultimate source of happiness? What is your ultimate source of joy? Uh, Jesus wants us to understand here that we can know true, deep, abiding 
everlasting joy so that everything in this life could be taken from us and we could still leap for joy. Yes, yes, we will weep where it's right to weep. But even in the midst of that, God's people can know true and everlasting joy. This is a challenge for us, I think, but it's also a word of incredible encouragement. Because dear brothers and sisters, in, in the midst of the most trying times, in the midst of the most discouraging circumstances, in the midst of the worst heartbreaks imaginable, in the worst circumstances possible, in great suffering, Jesus is saying, my people can know true joy. I've secured it for them. I've obtained it for them. Because I am the one who has come and I've laid down my life to save them from their sin and to save them from this sin-cursed world so that they may be with me forever. And so Jesus wants us to understand, I'm the reward. I'm the treasure. I'm the source of joy in the Christian life. So look to me. Believe in me and you will find everything you need. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may that be so in each of our lives. Let's pray together.